Good morning, everybody. For those who don't know me, my name is Calvin Turner. I'm one of the elders here at Connect Church. And Pastor Ryan would normally be preaching, but he is out today preaching at another location. Because for those who know Pastor Ryan, he's a much sought after speaker. So he's preaching somewhere else this morning, blessing others. So he asked the second string to come up. Uh, so I'm covering for him this morning. So good morning. We're, and it's a pleasure to be here with everybody. Let's go ahead and open in prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you that we can gather and fellowship around the person of Jesus Christ. I just pray that you bless me as I share with your people this morning, that I would be faithful to the word, that I would share what you want your people to hear. And I pray that you would bless all of us here so that we are not hearers of the word only, but doers as well. And I just pray that you be with us through this time as we give you thanks. And we also lift up Pastor Ryan as he's sharing, that you would bless him in the ministry that he's providing this morning as well. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning again, folks. <laughs> Let me try that again. I bet if I said who did, I'd get a whole bunch of it. So let's try again. Good morning again, folks. All right. There we go. There we go. Paul, I had to look up. I thought nobody was here. Good morning. And nobody's. Okay. So we're going to talk about meaningful membership and community this morning. And what exactly does that mean? And we'll try to go through what the Bible says so we can get an understanding of it. But let me start by saying that we live in a connected world. And when I say a connected world, if I said IOT, anybody know what IOT means? Internet of things. We are now at a point where things can communicate with each other without you initiating that. How many of you, when you get in your car, so if your phone is connected to your radio by Bluetooth, how many of you, when you get in your car, your phone will tell you how long it will take for you to get to the destination that it thinks you're going that morning? Anybody besides me have that? It'll tell you 35 minutes and it'll say traffic or whatever. Because your phone doesn't need you to tell it, hey, calculate that. It, when you go outside, is connected to the GPS in your car, and it already knows that, okay, on, and it, it's a computer, so it knows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you go to wherever you work every day. So it has already presumed when you get in that car at the same time you normally get there, it presumes you're going to where you normally go, and it'll tell you, here's how long it's gonna take you to get to where you are. And sometimes when you leave it, it'll tell you your parked car is locked outside, right? That's the internet of things. Things can talk to each other. We live in a world of AI, artificial intelligence, NFC, near field communications. That is what allows all of these devices to talk to each other in close proximity. We have ML, machine language and machine learning now that machines are starting to be able to talk and communicate themselves. Many people use Alexa. Alexa, what time is it? Alexa, what's my daily uh, news broadcast or whatever? Some people use Siri to do that. We have Bluetooth devices now, so we don't have to have wires anymore. We're connected by broadband. We have broadband technology. We have Wi-Fi. We have 4G wireless. Now we're looking at 5G wireless coming. So we have all of these different things that connect us and make us all feel like we're closer together. The strategy or the technology that allows that to happen 
has some other pieces that enable it to work more efficiently. And by having this connectivity we have in today's world, we're able to work efficiently, effectively, remotely. How many people on your jobs now have the opportunity to telework from home? Oh, one person, two people, three people, only three people, four people, only four people telework, oh my goodness. Francis, this must not be a very tech-savvy group here, huh? Well, believe it or not, for the rest of you who are here, we now have the ability for many people to be able to work from remote locations because you can take your laptop home with you, connect through Wi-Fi, it will then connect to the network wherever you work, and then you can actually work, access your files, you can collaborate through video conferencing technology, which is very similar to Skype. So Skype allows us to connect. Now, when I was a kid, the closest we got to Skype was the Jetsons, because that was stuff we saw on cartoons, where people could talk to each other and see images of it. And now we can actually do it. So you can be part of a work team with people who live on another continent, and you can be talking to them and collaborating on a regular basis. That's because we're all connected. So when we talk about connecting and community, that's the enabling technology. Now, when you have this kind of technology that goes, there are all kinds of other pieces underneath that make that happen. So the fact that you can log in and be able to communicate with somebody in Seattle, Washington, there's all kinds of other pieces within that network that make that happen. There's, there's transformers along the way that take signals and enhance it so that it starts at one point and it keeps on going until it gets to the other point where you have nearly instantaneous ability to be able to Skype with the kids or the grandkids or boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever it may be. It's really fascinating the way we do that. But in order to make that whole thing happen, you have to have a power source to connect it. So if your phone is not charged up and eventually loses power, what happens? You're no longer connected. You have to charge it back up again. If your laptop goes down, you have to charge it back up. If your router on your Wi-Fi gets disconnected, you have to charge that back up. So you have to have a power source that allows you to stay connected with everybody else. The net, the, the grid is there, but you have to power it to make sure that it works the way it needs to. We're gonna talk about what that power source is for Christians, for those of us who are born again believers. But when we talk about this whole connectivity that we have, human beings, which is all of us, have an innate, some, Mallory's laughing because some people probably wonder why I had to define human beings, which is all of us. Humans have an innate desire to connect to each other, which is why we embrace this so wholeheartedly. And now that we have social media, that's the preferred method that most people will communicate with each other and connect. How many times, well, I'm not a big social media user, first of all, so let me say that. But it is amazing to me and interesting to me when I see people who are connected to social media and when you see them sit down at a table or in a gathering together, you'll see 5, 10, 15, 20 people who are all networking and socializing together. And typically what's happening is instead of my generation, which is talking across the table and laughing and remembering, they're doing this. So even though they're all sitting at the table together, this is what you see. Yeah, right. And they're texting back and forth because they're connected to the rest of the world, to their friends, Facebook friends or whatever. 
But you know, when we talk about this connectivity, born again believers, we're connected too. But we're connected through a different network than the world is using. And we may be using some of that technology to connect us as believers, but we have a different power source for us. Our power source is Jesus Christ, who powers us to be connected. And without him, we can't be connected. Now, we can act like we're connected. We can pretend we're connected. We can say the right things that make it seem like we're connected. But without being plugged into Jesus, we really can't be connected and have meaningful connectivity with other born-again believers. Let me read a verse here. If you want to read along, you can go to, you're not going to see it on the slide there. If you want to read along, you can go to John chapter 15. I'm reading starting at verse 1. Here's what Jesus says about his worldwide, his universal network. Jesus says in verse 1, chapter 5, chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, of course, those of us who are born again believers, we are those branches that are connected to Jesus. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. He's talking to his disciples. And then he goes on to say, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now notice Jesus says that twice. Without me you can do nothing. Now skip down to verse 10. Then he talks about abiding. He says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, I'm going to ask, a, I'm going to do a quick quiz like Brother Marcel does in Sunday school. So a quick quiz. And let's see if we can get this one right. So those of us who are born again believers, if we want to be connected to the network of believers, what's the power source for us to be connected to other born again believers? Okay, let me ask that again. It sounds like some folks may not be convinced about that. If we as born-again believers want to be connected to the power source that allows us to be connected to other believers, what is that power source for us? Okay, so, if we, so Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, right? But how many believers go off onto their own power and think that they can be spiritual think that they can be Christian without Jesus. Now we're gonna talk about a few things because some people think I can have Jesus and I can have the Holy Spirit and I don't have to worry about being connected to other believers. Some people believe that. There are a lot of folks who believe I can be a strong Christian and stay at my house and just watch TV preachers on TV all day or listen to podcasts or whatever, and not fellowship with anybody else. Now, let me just give you a little bit of perspective on that. I'm going to read a verse. Turn to Hebrews 10, and then we're going to come back to that. But I just want to give a perspective on that. When you, the average Christian comes to church, well, let me say this. When I say Christian here, I'm going to put the air quotes up, okay? So the average professing Christian goes to church once a month, 
okay? One time a month. On average, atheists and agnostics know more about what Christians supposedly believe than professing Christians do. Does that surprise you? Atheists know more about what we supposedly believe than we do. So the average Christian goes to church once a month. The average Christian only goes to what we call the worship service, that's this, where we, spend, we come in at 1030, we have music, we have a sermon, we make announcements, we leave. So on an early day, we might leave out of here at 1130. On a late day when we have a long-winded sermon, which I'm going to try not to do today. <laughs> on a lit, but I can probably get away with it because the saints don't play at 12 o'clock today. But, <laughs> but on a long-winded on, on long day, you might get out by noon. So let's say the worst case scenario might be you come to church on Sunday and you spend an hour and a half there, right? And, and if, you, if, if the average Christian only goes to church once a month, and if when they come to church, it's an hour and a half, so that means the rest of that day of Sunday, okay, the other 22 and a half hours, and then the other six 24-hour periods, what is feeding that believer? Or what is the power source that that believer has to be able to connect, have meaningful connection and fellowship with other believers? And that's a scary thought. And that ends up impacting how effectively a believer can live his or her life in being an effective and faithful witness for Jesus Christ. If you take your cell phone, as we said earlier, and leave it unplugged for whatever amount of time you have on that battery, and then try to pick it up and an emergency comes up and you try to call somebody, the phone's not gonna work. It's not that the phone is broken. You just don't have any power left in it. So you have to keep that thing charged on a regular basis. Now, most people don't forget to plug their phones in. Some people do, but most don't. Most have a charger for the car and they have a charger for the house because we are gonna make sure that phone stays charged. But believers think that they can live an effective Christian life without plugging in to Jesus and the fellowship of other believers. So. If you've turned to Hebrews chapter 10, here's what Paul says. Paul says in verse 23, for those of us who are born again believers, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he that is faithful, for he that is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now that's what Paul is, Paul is telling us, and Paul had a number of epistles where he talked about the wickedness of our day, the evil world in which we live, the challenges of, of living a born-again life in today's world. Paul talked about that a lot. So Paul basically, if we use the context of today, Paul is saying, there are multiple things that are draining your cell phone battery on a routine basis. And so you have to make sure that you keep that phone plugged in. So he's saying as a believer, you have to stay connected 
Because your power source comes not only from Jesus, but it also comes from other people. Here's some of the things that he talks about in that passage. He says, by adhering to the command of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, number one, we have fellowship with other believers. And by having that fellowship with other believers, we have the blessing and the opportunity to hold one another accountable. Now that's a biggie there because it is much more difficult for us to stay focused on what we need to do when we're by ourselves than when we have somebody else holding us accountable. That's why in college many times what people will do is they'll get a study group or they'll have a study partner because even when you are tired and you don't want to study anymore, other people in that group can say, come on, man, we have that test. We got to get this done. People who like to go to the gym and work out, you have some very motivated people who can stay focused, go to the gym and work out and do their thing religiously and consistently three, four, five days a week. But it is a heck of a lot easier when you have a workout partner who when you feel down or when you feel frustrated and you don't want to go, that person goes, come on, man, we got to get that workout done. That's the kind of accountability the apostle is talking about here. We can also provoke one another to good works because when we feel down, when we feel frustrated, when we have occasion to think about going back to the life we used to live, believers can provoke us and say, let's keep going. Let's stay on course. Let's make sure we fight the good fight. And then we can encourage one another because we live in a dark and evil world and that world is hostile to the things of God. We also need to recognize that for us as believers, of course, the statistics say Christians go to church once a month and they only come to what we call the worship service. But when you see those little things flash up there, the slides, it has all kinds of things that go on at Connect Church. We have the Tuesday night journey. We have the Sunday school here. On, on every Sunday at nine o'clock in the morning. We have uh, get acquainted, uh, I'm a new member type thing. We have the thing, we have different types of events where we gather people together with the community. We have lots of ways to tap in. And that's what the apostle is basically telling us. We have to try to tap in as much as we can because when you're not around other believers or when you're not reading your Bible, which at work, if you're doing your job, you're probably not reading your Bible. All of the other times you have all of these other influences that are impacting you, shaping impressions, causing you to think certain ways. And we may think we're invincible. But what did Jesus say in, in John chapter 15? Without me, you can do nothing. The world tries as much as it can to separate us from Christ, to separate us from the power source that allows us to be able to live triumphant, effective, and successful lives as born-again believers. Because what the world would like is not for you or me to have the impact on the world that Jesus Christ charged us to have. So when Jesus talks about go out and make disciples of all people, the, 12, the 11 apostles he told that to have died. That commission now is for the rest of us. But the only way we can do that, we have to stay plugged into the source. Now, give you some numbers here. I think a week or so ago, we had 239 people who were in service, which is a high for Connect Church. And I think uh, Brother John Mark talked about, he remembers the days when it was like 40 people here. 239. One Sunday, we had so many people here that we ran out of communion juice. 
We didn't even have enough anymore. Brother Marcel looked up at me and I'm standing up here and Brother Marcel said, well, the Jews. That's a good problem to have and it's a bad problem. It's a good problem because it means people are hearing about Connect and want to come. It's a bad problem because we need to have more juice cups ready when we do communion going forward. But that's a good thing that we're attracting more people. But out of 239 people who came to service, we only have about 50 or 60 who go to the Tuesday night journey. And I know Pastor Ryan pushes that a lot because we even provide you with the food. We take care of the children. We do, every, we do everything except come and pick you up and bring you here and bring you back home. But it's all designed to give you opportunities to be able to fellowship and have community with other believers. Then we have the Sunday school. Now, Sunday school is, a, is an interesting thing because in the early church that was in the book of Acts, what we call worship service did not exist. You know, there was no music service. There was no piano, drums or anything like that. There were no PowerPoint presentations. The early believers, since they were outcasts from the world, right? They were primarily Jews in the beginning who now embraced the way or believing in Jesus Christ, being persecuted by the Jewish religious leadership and everything. So they had to be able to have a way that they would gain strength from each other. Jesus has ascended. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but the way they drew strength was they gathered together on a regular basis to break bread. Because remember, when we break bread, we're remembering that Jesus died and shed his blood on our behalf to pay the price for our sins. So they would gather so they could remember the sacrifice that was made for them, but they also would gather so they could listen to the word that was being taught by the apostles. Because many of the people were illiterate, they couldn't read. There were no books. They didn't have Bibles they could go pull up. So the only way they could learn about the Savior and learn about what he did for them and what God's plan was, they would come together, they would eat, and they would literally just sit down and somebody would teach them. So when we talk about the church of today, the closest thing we have to what was happening back then is actually Sunday school, if you think about it, because that's where we go to just say, let's go through the Bible and see what the Bible teaches us about how we should live in today's world, which is against us. But we have about 20 people who go to Sunday school. So think about those numbers. 239 come to quote unquote church. 60 go to the journey, 20 go to Sunday school. And most Christians only go once a month. So think about what that does as far as the effectiveness of a church that is not being fed spiritually. And some people like to think that they can be a lone ranger. You know, there's a growing number of Christians who think, well, I don't need to go to Sunday school. I know I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't need. You have a lot of people who think that. Or I can read the Bible for myself. All of that is true. If you're truly a born again believer, yes, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can read the Bible for yourself. But if you really understand what the Bible teaches, you will understand that there is a, a world system that is trying to destroy your testimony. Now, if you're truly born again, it can't do anything to take away your salvation. So the world and the devil can't do anything about that. But what it can do is destroy your testimony, make you a weak and anemic Christian who rarely shares your faith with anybody who believes the lies that we hear around us 
and become ineffective and not profitable for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if a lost and dying world is going to come to the point where we are to believe on Christ, how are they going to do that? I hope we're not relying on those guys that we see on TV. Because any resemblance with a lot of that and the gospel is coincidental. The way people are going to see Jesus Christ is through us, through the way we act, through adversity, the way we act when we have tough times, the way we act when we have loss, the way we act when we're persecuted. What's our reaction? Do we react like the world or do we act differently? And do we then create something in people's minds that say, well, why aren't you upset about that? Why didn't you react this way? Well, because my hope is not in the boss or my hope is not in the car or this job. My hope is in Jesus Christ. There's my witnessing opportunity. But if we're not being powered up by Christ, if we're not being powered up by other believers who are sharing with us, because remember, part of what we gather is when we gather together in, an, in, a, in a setting where we can have a Bible study or like a journey group, we're hearing other people's testimonies of what happened to them, how they overcame it, what they did to be able to be effective and successful in, in not denying Jesus Christ. But that's what happens when we gather together. That's why the Apostle in Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because we lose out in the process of that. But nevertheless, there are those people who believe I can be Lone Ranger. I've got the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's gonna guide me to all things. I don't need anybody to teach me anything. Well, for one thing, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Unless you are immobile or some other, other way debilitated and can't go to church, what we see in, in uh, Hebrews is not a request. Hey, if you want to, Go assemble with other believers. It's telling us forsake. So in front of forsake, you can say, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. It's an imperative. So we're being told that that is what we should do so we could power up on a regular basis. Television, podcasts, social media, those are all good supplements to us being able to be connected. But they're not substitutes for us being together in person gathering and fellowshipping with other believers. If a born again believer is not connected to the fellowship of believers in a local church, they are easy prey for the devil. And first Peter chapter five tells us that be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now by, well, no, I'm not going to say by a show of hands. I hope most of you know that there is a real devil. And I hope most of you know that he is our adversary. And I hope most of you know that he would like nothing better than to destroy you and destroy your testimony. Now, when I, when I read this, and I remember working with a guy years ago who used this example, and so I've, I've adopted it when I teach on this. He said, you know, when you watch those shows like Wild Kingdom or Animal Kingdom or whatever, and you know, you see the little, you see the little antelope by the water and they're just, and cute little things and they're sipping water and you go, oh, look at Bambi, the cute little lamb, right? And you think that it's such a cute little setting, right? 
And then you see the little baby come along by his mother and he's just, you know, cuddling up and it's just a nice little thing. And then the camera pans over and there's the lion, you know, just slowly creeping up, right? There comes the lion, quiet as a mouse. And, there's, and then, you know, you see all the little elk do that because they know something. And then all of a sudden it happens. The lion pounces and they break, bam! And I mean, those things start running, and I mean, they're just running, and here's that lion. And where does the lion zero in? The weakest one of the pack. And the weakest, the one that has that split second of hesitation. The strongest, the, the heads go up, and they're gone. The weakest don't yet know the signs of the devil, and they are not strong enough to evade the devil. So that's the ones the lion catch. The Christian who is not connected to a strong group of believers where they are having strong, consistent, accurate Bible teaching and fellowship and encouragement becomes that weak little, cute little elk that the lion devours along the way. And it happens all the time. I've been walking with the Lord now about 38 years. And I can tell you that I know many people, some have even been pastors of churches who I've fellowshiped with over the years who used to profess to be Christians and are no longer following the Lord. And when we talk about the children who are decimated, children who, who grew up with my children, who came up in Sunday school, Awana, and all of the other programs, children that the devil, they were the little elks and the devil has just decimated them. Look, this is a serious game, folks. And the devil, this is, and it's really not a game. The devil plays for keeps. It's like a quote in, in, from a movie that says, this ain't checkers, this chess. The devil is after us. And to the extent that we are not, to the extent that we are unaware of the wiles of the devil will cause us to be caught in the trap. And the way that we have to stay alert and be aware, you will never find those little elk by the pool by themselves. You will always see those little dear little Bambies in a pack because they know the pack will help to guard them, will help to alert them when something is about to happen. But the weakest are gonna be the ones who get picked off every time. The Lone Ranger attitude also increases the probability of false and erroneous doctrine because it does not adhere to a biblical model of the way a church is supposed to be. A church was set up in the Bible, the church was set up in the Bible to have pastors and teachers and leaders within it and elders and it was set up that way for a reason. Now sometimes when we embrace the Lone Ranger mentality, we think, no, no, I don't need that because I got the same Holy, what makes him teach me? Because I got my Holy Spirit just like his Holy Spirit. That is an unbiblical attitude. Nobody knows everything. And the way that we are able to grow is iron sharpens iron. We learn from other people. Our positions on things change as we grow. We grow at different rates. But God is using all of us together to encourage and grow and, and be somewhat be, be a, a group of folks 
who can help the body be strong and move forward. Now, there's some confusion today when we talk about community. You know, it means many things to many people. For some people, and some examples that you hear typically are, you've got the Hispanic community, the African-American community, you may have the Asian-American community, Italian-American community, Irish-American community, educational community, professional community. I mean, you could go on and on. There are all of these groupings that we think of as community. You also have one community that most people may know of, the Houdat Nation. That's another community of people, right? Well, actually, I don't, I don't, may not be a community. That's a nation, I think, the Houdat Nation. But you also have the Houdat Nation. The main point is that whenever you have a community, it is a, we define community as a group of people who have some sort of expectation of shared values, characteristics, opinions, or whatever. That's what draws them together as a community. So if we're all part of the educational community, we probably are all educators. And so we have common goals and common educational requirements, certification requirements, and so on. So that's what draws people together in community. When we think about community, I'm gonna define it as the fellowship of born again believers, and we have some common things as well. If for those of us who are born again, there are some common things that draw us into community or into fellowship. Some of those, and by no way is this an exhaustive way, the things that draw us together is number one, we're saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we recognize that without Christ, we have no hope. We are bought with a price. We're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, by his shed blood on the cross. We recognize as believers that we are in Christ. We belong to Christ. Our lives are not our own. Our lives belong to the one who paid the price for us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. God's righteousness is imputed to us because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. The world hates us as believers. We are not supposed to be conformed to this world. Because we are not conformed to it, we can expect persecution from the world. We have passed from death to life. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption of our bodies. Jesus is coming again for his church. Our hope of, of joy is not to have riches and joy on earth. Rather, it is looking to Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith and who is our blessed hope to rescue us from this wicked and evil age. Now those are some of the things that draw us together as community that we have in common as believers that we do not share with the rest of the world. And as born again believers, the fact that we don't share those with, with the world doesn't mean that we can't have friendships with them. And when I say friendships, I mean, you know, you know your neighbor, hey, how's it going? Oh, your grass looks good, man. Oh, I put some weed and feed down. Yeah, we can do that. We can talk about the game with unsaved people. We can do those kinds of things. We can talk about uh, we need to get together and go to the city council so we can get the lights fixed on our street. We can do those things. I'm not suggesting we can't have friendships with the world, but we really don't have fellowship with the world because at the end of the day, the world's Worldview is different than ours. The world is looking for something totally different than we are. Our reward is in heaven through Jesus Christ. The world is not. Amos 3.3 tells us, how can two walk together except they be in agreement? Ephesians 5.11 tells us, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful workers of darkness, 
but rather reprove them. So I can have a friend who's lost. I don't have fellowship with a person who's lost. I can't have fellowship with a person who's lost. That person is not in Christ. That person's worldview is not the same as my worldview. And I'll give you an example. Years ago, I had a friend of mine. His name was Robert, was Robert. He's passed away now. I knew Robert because we worked together. And he was a good guy, nice guy, very smart guy, very smart guy, brilliant guy. And so we were very good friends, but we could never have fellowship. Now, we would, we would, do, we would go to lunch together, and we would enjoy each other's company and just kind of shoot the breeze and talk about things we, that we enjoyed, photography or whatever, music, whatever. But we could never have fellowship, and here's why. Because whenever we would get into any significant conversations, because the, most of the conversations you have with folks like that are not significant. Whenever we would get into really significant conversations of life and death, we had a different perspective on it. And I remember we were sitting down one day at lunch and he was asking me some questions. And every time I answered the question, I answered it from a biblical worldview. Now, I wasn't saying, well, you know, John chapter 7, no, but, but the perspective I was giving him was biblical. And he asked me, he said, bruh, why can't we have an intelligent conversation without it always becoming a Bible conversation? I said, we're not having a Bible conversation. We're talking about the question that you just posed. He said, but why does it always have to come down to some biblical reference? I said, because that's my worldview. Your worldview is different than that. His wanted to just debate for the sake of debating. I'm not interested in debating for the sake of debating. I don't have time for that. But if we're going to talk about deep things, my obligation is to share from a biblical perspective why I disagree with him. So you know what we had to agree? So from now on, we're not going to have deep conversations. I say, well, that's your call. So all we could talk about was, how, yeah, how about that Saints game? How about uh, the Patriots? Boy, yeah, Brady's a great quarterback. That's all we could have conversations about. Until the day he was determined to be sick. So I got a phone call one day and he called me up and I hadn't heard from him in a while. And he said, yeah, you know, hey, Calvin. I said, how's it going? He said, man. And I could hear it in his voice. He said, I'm in a hospital. I said, for what? He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. I said, well, what, I mean, what, what exactly is going on? He said, I don't know. He said, uh, you know, I just felt weak. I went to the hospital and they have me now in ICU. I said, what? And they don't know what it is? He said, no. Now, this is a guy who told me, I don't want to talk about the Bible and everything, right? So he told me, he said, I'm really scared. So now I asked him, I said, do you mind if I pray for you? He said, no, please do. So I prayed for him on the phone, told him I would come and visit him, which I did. So I went to the hospital and visited with him. He was now, two days later, he was now hooked up on dialysis. And we talked. And so I told him that uh, I would bring him a Bible to read. Now I had brought him a Bible a few years earlier because at one point he said he wanted to be discipled and he stopped reading it. So now he said he did want another Bible. So I told him, I said, okay, I'll be back on Monday and I'll bring a Bible, which I did. I brought a Bible over. By the time I came back, he was on dialysis, but he was unconscious. So I just put the Bible in his, they showed me where his, his room was, so I put the Bible in his room. So the next time I came, he was unconscious in his hospital room, and I just laid hands on him and prayed over him. 
And the next thing I knew, I got a phone call from a lady who he was leasing a house from her. And she called and she said, I see your number in Robert's phone. I just wanted to, and I was supposed to go, like she called me like a Tuesday. I was supposed to go see him like the Wednesday or so. And she called to say, I just wanted to let you know that Robert passed away yesterday. See, that's what this is all about, folks. We know people, we have friends who are dying and going to hell. And they're dying and they're lost. And if we don't tell them about Jesus, who will? And, that, and those are the people we know all around us. And so when we think we can isolate ourselves from fellowship, we are not empowered enough. We don't have the power source that allows us to be able to be sensitive to when the people around us are hurting and they need some spiritual guidance to navigate this world. But that's why we fellowship. That's why we have the community with one another. Our fellowship is with other born-again believers. Our fellowship is in Christ. First John chapter 1 tells us, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So it's important to see how this whole thing works. We have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ because we're in Christ. We didn't have fellowship before we were born again. But now that we're born again, we're in Christ. There's nothing we do that justifies us to have communion with God. But now that we're in Christ, since God accepts Christ's sacrifice to pay the price for our sins, now we have communion with God the Father and Jesus Christ. Now, every other born again believer is in that same situation. They, not because of anything they did, they have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. So what ends up happening is the person over here and the person over here, whether they come from different countries, speak different languages, come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, whether one is a Dallas Cowboys fan and one is a Saints fan, none of those things interfere with the fellowship we have in Christ because it's not based on what I think about that person. It's based on the fact that I'm in Christ, I have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus, this person's in Christ, has fellowship with God the Father and Jesus, and because of that, we can have fellowship with each other. Now, does that mean that we're going to have some disagreements about you like, you say potato, I say potato, you say tomato, I say tomato? Does that mean we're not going to have differences like that? Of course we will. But I can still have fellowship with that person because we are both of the same blood, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to remember as we navigate through this world. So I want to leave you with something real quick here. When we think about the dire condition of the people around us, and when we think about what Jesus expects of us in sharing the gospel with those who are lost, and the fact that we are going to be ineffective at that if we're not tapped in and connected with other believers, and certainly with the Lord, it's a measure of our spirituality 
if we're not fellowshipping with other believers, quite honestly. And we can kid ourselves and say, well, I don't need to be. You, you're kidding yourself. If you think you can be the little, ant, the little deer, the little elk by the water and escape the devil and be effective, you are kidding yourself. You cannot do it. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And Jesus and every one of the New Testament writers told us we have to have community. We have to have fellowship with other believers to strengthen us, to encourage us, to provoke us, to lift us when we're down so that we can be effective in this walk. We cannot do it by ourselves. And if we are not effective in fellowshipping with other believers, you cannot be effective ministering to lost people. Can't happen. It can't happen. You might kid yourself, it cannot happen. Because even if you, even if you could share a message that makes sense, where are you going to direct them to fellowship? Because you don't go anywhere. So you don't think you need to be in church. You can't, you can't direct them anywhere. So there's this little uh, poem that was written a few years ago. Because ultimately, this is all for us to glorify God and to follow the Great Commission to make disciples of people. So I'll just read this real quick to you. My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walked with you day by day and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was dim, but you could have led me straight to him. Though we lived together on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand condemned this day because of what you failed to say. You taught me many things, that's true. I called you friend and trusted you. Now I learn that it's too late and you could have saved me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, yet you failed to show me the light. You let me live and let me die knowing I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and laughed with you through joy and strife. And yet on coming to the end, I can no longer call you friend. May it never be said that we allow the people we see, the people we know, the people we love, the people we spend time with and we shuck and we jive and we laugh and we talk about all kinds of things and we know that those people are lost and going to hell. May it never be said that that is what the people we, we know say that upon learning that we knew the way of truth and did not tell them anything about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for the privilege we have to have fellowship with you. We thank you for the privilege we have to know the Savior Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would just quicken us to help us to know that we cannot live this life on our own. We cannot be Lone Ranger Christians, but we have to depend on you. And you command us to have fellowship with one another so that we can have community with each other to strengthen, encourage, provoke one another to good works so that we can live lives that glorify you. And Father, I pray as we dismiss this morning that you would just help us to be hearers of, not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. Provoke us to good works and let us provoke each other to good works. And Father, I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.